scary movie. Well, sometimes that is better. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. Elmers, welcome back to another episode of 13th and Elm here with Rob and Bill. Say what up? What up? What's up? righty. Um, let's jump into the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, 1920 German masterpiece. This is a film, obviously, it's over 100 years old. It's very popular, it's uh, influential, it's been studied and dissected and written about and reported and discussed to death. Ad nauseum. Mm-hmm, and we're going to do more of that for you guys tonight. So the film stars Werner Krauss as Dr. Caligari, Conrad Veidt as Cesare, Friedrich Fair as Francis, Lil Dagover as Jan, Hans Heinz V. Travdowski as Alan, and Rudolf Lettinger as Dr. Olsen. Written by Hans Janowitz and Karl Mayer, Janowitz served as an officer during World War I, but the experience left him embittered with the military, which affected his writing. Mayer feigned madness to avoid military service during the war, which led him to intense examinations from the military psychiatrists. Both were self-proclaimed pacifists at the time of their meeting following the war and remained as such until their respective deaths. We'll get into that in a little bit more detail as it becomes relevant to some of the film's story and plot, but let's get that plot out of the way, and we'll open this up for some discussion. I know that both of you are really looking forward to that. So, right away, bam, opening up frame device. A frame device is kind of like a story within a story or bookending the plot with um, some outer commentary. Think of uh, The Notebook or mm, The Princess Bride would be two examples anyway so frame begins with francis sitting on a bench talking to an older man who complains that the spirits have driven him away from his family at home a dazed woman named jane passes them francis quickly explains that she is his fiance and they have suffered a great ordeal most of the rest of the film is presented in the flashback form of Francis's story, which takes place in Holstenwall, a shadowy village in Germany. Francis and his friend Alan are competing for Jane's affection and plan to visit the local town fair. Meanwhile, a mysterious man named Dr. Caligari seeks a permit from the rude town clerk to present a, spect a spectacle at the fair, which features a sonambulist named Cesare. The clerk mocks and berates Caligari, but ultimately approves the permit. And later that night, the clerk is found stabbed to death in his bed. The next morning, Francis and Alan visit Caligari's spectacle, where he opens a coffin-like box to reveal the sleeping Cesare. On Caligari's order, Cesare opens and answers questions from the audience. Despite Francis's protest, Alan asks, How long shall I live? To Alan's horror, Cesare answers, Until tomorrow's dawn. 
Later that night, a figure breaks into Alan's home and stabs him to death in his bed. Francis investigates Alan's murder with the help of Jan and her father, Dr. Olson, who obtains police authorization to investigate the somnambulist. That night, the police apprehend a criminal in possession of a knife who was caught attempting to murder an elderly woman. When questioned by Francis and Dr. Olson, the criminal confesses that he did, in fact, try to kill the elderly woman, but denies in any part of an involvement with the two previous deaths, stating he was merely taking advantage of the situation to try to divert blame away from himself. At night, Francis spies on Caligari and observes Cesare sleeping in the cabinet of their home. However, the real Chisari is sneaking into Jane's home as she sleeps, raises a knife to stab her, but instead abducts her, dragging her through the window onto the street. He is chased by an angry mob. Chisari eventually drops Jan and flees. Soon after, he falls off a cliff, a cliff collapses, and dies. Francis confirms that the criminal who uh, confessed to the elderly's murder has been locked away and could not have been Jane's attacker. Francis and the police investigate Caligari's sideshow and realize that Cesare is sleeping in a box. However, it is a life-size replica doll. Caligari escapes in the confusion. Francis follows and sees Caligari through the entrance of an insane asylum. Francis, frantically searching, begins to ask the employees if a Dr. Caligari is an inmate. He is told that he should speak to the director of the asylum, but is shocked to learn that Caligari is indeed the asylum's director. With help from the asylum staff, Francis studies the director's records in the diary while the director is sleeping. The writings reveal his obsession with the story of a 17th century monk named Caligari who used a somnambulist named Cesare to commit murders in northern Italian towns. The director, attempting to understand the earlier Caligari, experiments with a somnambulist admitted to the asylum who becomes Cesare. The asylum director screams, I must become Caligari. Francis and the doctors call the police to Caligari's office where they show him the dead corpse of Cesare. Caligari then attacks one of the staff, is subdued, restrained in a, restrained in a straitjacket, and becomes an inmate in his own asylum. The narrative returns to the present. Francis concludes the story with a twist ending. Again, possibly the first twist ending in the history of cinema, which is of note, and many of the things in this film will be possible first in film history being that it is 1920 but certainly the first one that i'm aware of francis and the unarmed man walk back to the main doors of the same asylum where they see jane and chisari both in the asylum seemingly as patients francis tells the unarmed man that he must not ask to cesari to tell him his fortune or he will also die spotting jane asks her to marry him which she replies we who are noble blood may not follow the wishes of our hearts the man Francis refers to as Dr. Caligari then appears, however now appearing to be more clean and pragmatic, not the devious vilified personification in the flashback. He is indeed the asylum director. Francis attacks him and begins to scream, he is Caligari, he is Caligari, and then is restrained in a straitjacket, placed in the same cell as Caligari was previously in the story, and the same asylum director now announces he finally understands Francis' delusion, and he believes that the, doctor, or that the director is Dr. Caligari, and now, he, knowing that, he can cure him. So, what do you guys think of this? I would like to just go ahead and just get ahead of the rumor mill on this. I know Twitter's going to be a buzzin', YouTube's going to be a buzzin', that I watched the version that is completely untouched as whatever the, it looks like the original film was dug up and shown, so... Unfortunately, there was a lot of things in here that I 
missed because of things like not being able to tell the characters apart, being able to follow the plot and all that fun stuff that helps you enjoy a movie. But still, I knew a lot about this um, beforehand and it had been one that I wanted to watch. But um, yeah, like a, a lot of it was was lost on me because I just missed it. What did you think? Uh, full disclosure, I fell asleep during this film. <laughs> I'm not trying to be funny. I was actually very tired. I think it would have happened no matter what film we were watching. I just, I, I was losing sleep and I, I ended up having to do other things that day. I got home pretty late and started the film. And it's a silent film. I mean, there's a good score to it. Um, but in the third act, I, I, I did actually fall asleep on the couch. So I had to finish the film today. Um, this is an odd pick. Not because you picked an odd movie, just I have a problem scoring this film, and I'm not going to score it right now because we'll do that at the end. But I don't, I'm not a cinephile. I've never taken a film study class. So I feel like I'm out of my element as far as judging this film. And it torn between how I enjoyed this movie versus its actual factual, like the cinematography, the acting, and the acting for the time for a silent film. But I did not enjoy this film, and I don't think that's a big shock to you, Michael. I'm actually kind of floored by that. I thought that being uh, a man of your ilk, that you would have appreciated. What does that mean? Well, it's like a theater movie, really. It's like a it's the silent movie. There's a lot of theater elements in this. There's obviously a concentration on the set design, and then the embellishment and any silent area act. Silent era acting is going to be very stage you know what i mean yeah no very much so and um i figured that at least part of that would translate to something that you could appreciate i mean there's no doubt that it's dated in a movie from 1920 but don't get me wrong there is a lot about this movie i appreciated um in fact watching this film gave me a lot of insight into tim burton's aesthetic aesthetic mm. like uh, clearly all of his like his style is pulled from this German expressionism, mm -hmm. very much so. Um, but that said, and as much as I like the kind of jaunty angles and everything else, I feel like the set was like kind of cheaply done. Like it looked like kind of like crepe paper being painted on, like I mean, kind of crudely. Was pretty much exactly that, right? Like it. Well, they actually was did save a done. lot of money on their stage design, which was kind of an innovative thing at the time. Um, not just from an aesthetic. Uh, point of view but also my understanding is that this set was pretty cheap compared to like obviously filming on location or actually building like a film studio set mm -hmm. um but it also that's kind of like it gives it it's i don't know it's it's one of its more identifiable characteristics of this film um and a lot of fans of this film would note it as a highlight i obviously. mean uh, after maybe two minutes of seeing Caligari on screen, I'm like, oh, so DeVito's Penguin is based completely off of this character in Batman Returns, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the, the the resemblance is uncanny. I would, like, say that there's a lot of modern influence in film today that's probably even, like, a possibly, like, a degree of separation removed, but, you know, people might 
have made films in the 60s, 70s, 80s that young filmmakers today grew up watching and loving, not even necessarily having seen this or knowing, and then are now in the middle of their careers or the beginning of their careers implementing things that, you know, owe their inception to, you know, really German surrealism and German expressionist era film. I mean, this is one of the heydays of film in like in a region that was putting out a lot of well-known, um, well-acclaimed film. I mean, I believe it's, what is, excuse me, I'm not a historian, so the dates, I believe 1918 to 1933 was the... Um, World War One to World War Two, right? Well, I mean, that was kind of like in between. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah the end of World War One to the beginning yeah, so of like the, the Nazi era. Yeah, so the First Reich, mm-hmm. I believe uh, they called it the... Weimar, the Weimar Republic. Weimar Republic, yeah. Um, so this or Weimar, yeah. If you're yeah. more correct, but this era of uh, German art and specifically film is still looked at very fondly. I mean, you gotta think who else you're talking about. Fritz Lang and F. W. Marnot. We're talking some of the most important or at least influential and time-standing films of you know all time. We're talking. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Nosferatu, Faust, uh, Dr. Mabuse, um, Metropolis. I mean, really, we're talking about the heavy hitters of silence. The foundations of film. Right. And um, this one was one of the early ones, and it's one that stood out. I mean, some of the – you guys might laugh at this, but, like, some of the stars in this movie did go on to have fairly, like, prolific careers. Ha! I think that um, Lil Dagover starred in over like 200 movies. Great name. Mm-hmm. Great name. Um, you guys, did you look, do you know who Conrad Veidt is? What he's most famous for in cinema? Mm-mm. No. Um, he was in Casablanca. Oh, I. you know what? I did actually see that. Um, and, and I'm sure you have some notes on this, and we already kind of touched on like World War One and World War Two and the, and the break in between. But the fact that the German expressionism was kind of, the um, uh, manifestation of the German psyche after the end of World War One, where they were basically set to pay back reparations, they lost the war, and it didn't. It <laughs> this film didn't create Nazism, but it's a symptom of the time of, and that's why it's so surrealist and oh where everything's man. at like jaunty angles because trying to um, kind of rationalize their point their place in the world with what they used to be and uh, a lot of there's a lot of like film study about how the synambulist what's your name is Cesare I, mm. I was calling him Caesar the whole time I thought it was weird that there was a Caesar and a Caligari I was like that's pretty Italian but okay and yeah. there's <laughs> there's there's stuff that we get into like, later with like the lost manuscript and everything right but how the synambulist was kind of a symbolic stand-in for the young men in World War One that were sent to go kill people by powerful men in places of authority, and they had no choice in the matter. They were kind of like sleepwalkers. Yeah, well, I mean, mm. art is always a product of its time, right? And um, I know it's hard 100 years later. I mean, it's 101 years later. But trying to put yourself into the mindset or framework of the time in order to digest this I think um, perhaps isn't 
requisite to enjoy the film because I do find the film to be enjoyable and something that holds up. Um, definitely silent film is not for everybody, but when it comes to the story, which is minimal and straightforward as most silent films tend to have, but you know, the acting and set design and stuff like there are things that translate over. And like, if you are really into production design um, or like art direction, then this film probably still has a lot that you can digest, but that might be for a more niche audience. However, I think to get the impact of this film, you do need to frame it, um, you know, in the 1918 to 1933, in between World War One and World War Two, German mindset. And um, obviously that's going to be hard for us and most others, um, knowing what we know and living how we've lived. It couldn't be more different than that. But... Yeah, definitely. I think you get a lot of commentary, and this is not anything profound or unique to me. This, Like I said, this movie's been out forever and has been dissected and talked about ad nauseum. So you can find books and documentaries and everything, but definitely this film makes note of you know, the youth in Germany, the young men, the oppression estate, the power, the misleading... Um, government, and kind of, you know, even down to the set design, a lot of people have commented as like, there's two different theories here of why everything is like at weird angles and wonky and not standing on stilts and stuff. One is that it is all being retold through the perspective of a madman, mm-hmm. you know, Francis, which makes sense because ultimately, and we'll get into it, but there is a twist ending where Francis is the one who is insane and he is ultimately the patient in the insane asylum. Um, but also another um, idea is that, this is reflective of the state of the world in Germany in 1920. You know, um, it's at the end of one regime, um, not knowing what lies ahead. I mean, we're talking about pre-Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of American narratives don't are kind of like dismissive of the fact that that even exists a lot of times. Um, I don't know. That's a whole nother discussion, but. 1920 Germany, wow, what a place. And uh, I think that you can really feel the struggle and the um, longing for like an identity in its art scene at that time. And I think that that's a very present theme in Caligari. Um, but I mean, I can, I'm going to go down the rabbit hole. On we this know. One. I know you we all expect know. it. And I know that's, I know. All right. P- part, of, part of why I actually don't enjoy this film. Um, anticipating that no 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 no. that's (laughs) not that and i'm not saying this is a bad film but part of why i don't enjoy this film is because you need a lot of background knowledge to really appreciate it and i feel that as a i'm not a cinephile i'm just a dude who watches movies um i feel like a big a big part of why i enjoy film is because they are quote-unquote timeless you don't you don't need this background information the movie stands on its own and silent film is so far removed this is the first silent film i've watched Ever, ever. Besides, maybe you know, like the, you know, the the, the train going past. You know, the very right. first, you know, filmography or whatever. Have you seen Trip to the Moon? It's like no. ten minutes. No, no, no. I I've seen I've seen the bullet going into the moon's eye. Like that's and, 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 and the smashing pumpkin. <laughs> and the smash, video. Yeah, <laughs> that's like literally tonight, it. Tonight, yeah. Um. So that's one of the digs I have against it. Um. Another one is just. <laughs> I feel like I could have watched this movie at three times the speed and lost very little. Um, even, oh, that's silent film. E- even for a silent film. And I and actually, after this, I read some reviews um, on multiple sites. People that, quote-unquote, claim to love other, f- like Metropolis, like Nosferatu, and, and many others that I did not recognize the, the titles of. And they were saying that this is particularly slow for what's going on. Um, and that might have contributed to my... Uh, 
my synambulism um, during oh. this film uh, in the third act. But I, again, like I was like, man, waiting and waiting and waiting. And because I'm not familiar with silent film, the the jump between screen and then the subtitles or not subtitles the text scenes where they're kind of slowly coming up in the sort of jaunty handwritten text which was kind of cool for the first 20 minutes and then after that i was like jesus just get on with it that's kind of an anomaly in uh, silent film up to this point especially and you guys also got to remember this is like one of the first like feature length films ever period full stop like we yeah. haven't been making movies very long up to this point. Yeah, like five years before this, basically. Right, and there haven't been a lot, but like the, yeah, I do prefer like a cleaner, uh, more succinct title like card. Like a better film. No title card, <laughs> title like card. in between the text yeah. cards. That's yeah. what they call yeah. those. Um, I do prefer that, and this one was fun and gimmicky, but eventually it stops being fun and it just becomes gimmicky. Just yep. like the handwritten scrawls and it stuff. It does. Um, but. That's a that's a different matter entirely, um, really, from the film that I'm not going to over critique because there is so much fun stuff happening in this film, and mm-hmm. there is and it does drag a little bit um, for sure. But also, I mean, they're finding their footing in the terms of telling a story on film, period. Um, but man, I'll, we'll get into some of the really cool things. But there were some absolutely revolutionary. Uh, visual effects beyond the set design but like there was some cool dare i say even special effects this is one of the movies that i think think back then they're just called effects right (laughs) oh they were very special but i mean this is one of the first frame devices in film this is one of the first twist endings in film this is widely credited loves those irish shots i'll tell you what oh my gosh this is widely considered one of the first horror films or the first horror film um there is so much about this movie that had never been done before. It's truly revolutionary, and it's so easy to miss that. Like today, like I mean, I've seen again. You need Avatar you need shit. the background knowledge. It's this is like reverse modern art, where people shit on modern art because like, oh, anybody could have done that. I could have done that. Okay, but you didn't, and you couldn't because you don't know why this is so revolutionary. And this is why I'm trying to balance my view on this film because. Um, a lot of this comes down to what does this film influence? And I kind of looked at that a little bit, but I figured that you would have done the heavy lifting on this as far as like what this film influenced in the future. And uh, without that Everything. knowledge, I- exactly, exactly that. But but without specific uh, bullet points, like I feel like it's lost. It's like, oh, this is art history. This is film history. And that's all well and good, but it, it doesn't resonate with me unless I've got like, oh, this influenced such and such film. And... The, the Tim Burton stuff I touched on earlier um, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying really hard you actually ruined my scoring like my, my scoring rubric completely with this film like you derailed it completely good, good. so also thank you for picking this film I want to say that I'm, I'm not trying to be funny like thank you for picking this film because I've been meaning to watch this for a long time and if I had put this on without any deadline or obligation (laughs) there's no way i would have finished it absolutely not i would have turned this off 20 minutes in i mean fair enough and i will keep that in mind when i continue to subject you to uh, more silent film masterpieces um and we got a whole section of fritz long coming up that's gonna just drop your trousers you are making it real hard to not be vindictive with my picks I have a feeling that you've already chosen such 
and I am accepting of that. Are and you, you have to realize that this is a pick out of vindiction. But you know what? I'm not trying to leave our man out of this conversation. Yeah, it doesn't Bill, help that you didn't watch. You this didn't watch movie, this film at all. But so why don't you jump you in think? and tell us? <laughs> um, I mean, it was really good. The version that I watched looked like. Um, a guy holding two ink blots and just smashing them together for an hour. Um, I learned very early before this recording that there were such versions that existed where you could actually um, tell what was going on and tell the characters apart. Um, and I actually really do want to go back and watch that version. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, I was disappointed that I wasn't really going to have a lot to add to this because I know a decent amount of um, of the background that we've talked about. And I mean, just being one of the first like horror films, like I, I didn't think I was going to like it and I still don't think I would like the other version. But man, I know there's so much that I missed out on. I mean, I did really like the score and I did really like the makeup and the set design. But I mean, I had to pause every, you know, 10, 15 seconds and jump back to the IMDb and try to figure out who was who. So it's really difficult to, to get fair. into it deeper than that <laughs> right unfortunately when, when he went over the um, film at the very beginning were you like blown away lot, like I wait what a, i learned a lot from that plot synopsis to be honest with you uh, well that's i knew good. Like, I, I, <laughs> I will say if you've seen the movie shutter island you've seen this film <laughs> i do this i mean is that shutter island is largely that is true. By yeah this movie. that makes a lot of sense i um i have seen that which yeah it was okay but, yeah, I can see that now. But, I mean, you said – I want to go back. You said at the beginning that it's set in stone, that Francis was a mental patient. I kind of got the, the idea the that, the very that it was ambiguous at the end, that you still weren't it's, sure. It's not spelled out, but, it, it, but, but very much so. Also, I read that initially both the intro scene and the twist ending were not part of the original – uh, script and that the writers were very much turned uh, uh, turned off by that that it was yeah. added in. They really didn't care for it. Um, and I I think it's cool, but I I would have been fine without it. I would have been fine without the twist ending. It would I th- it might even been a better film. I don't know. Again, because it was it, like one of the first and all that, y- you have all this fucking bullshit. You got to like you know kind of sift through of like whether that's actually a good a good concept or or an attribute versus what people have been saying about this film for literally a century. Literally. I, do, I mean, I do agree that the editing required to make that twist happen definitely made it as a silent film more confusing to follow. Um, and I'm sure the version you guys watch it wasn't as confusing, but um, it's still some of that get lost. I, I, I do agree that though, like being one of the first twist endings is very cool. I think it would have been better for the film if it was this Can you imagine the it would have been a completely different film bunch though. of flapper girls getting mind fucked by this movie oh <laughs> I, yeah i mean that's uh, like ostensibly what happened really i mean <laughs> it might not have gone down exactly in that verbiage but i think so you think of the time and you think of the effect and the impact this movie had i mean it was i mean there's not international distribution really occurring at this point in time However, apparently after World War One, a lot of German films were edited or were not accepted by, quote unquote, they weren't allies back then. I don't know what the Entente or whatever, whatever the mm-hmm. good guys were, good guys, quotes. Um, and that this is one of the films that was coming out of Germany at the time that is extremely German and it doesn't really, I mean, they, they say it takes place in Germany, but you can tell that just by watching the film and was a major boon to 
film from Germany at the time as being kind of well regarded. Um, just a little aside there. Have you ever uh, seen a silent film prior to this? Um, no, I think this from yeah from beginning. I th- I think I s- tried to watch the artist um, because I was at that point where I wanted to watch all the movies nominated for an Oscar, and I don't think I finished it. Probably because well, it was. Boring. Why do you think that was? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the artist is like a two thousand like twelve. Yeah, that's a newer Yeah, I guess, yeah. but I mean, it's a different you art. Guess? No, no, I'm, okay, like that is true, but like it's a silent. This it, is it a, chooses to be a silent film. Entire era. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, this so in, it's better. <laughs> this entire it's era of into the film to me is just it is a completely different art form. Okay, I I'll be totally honest that um, I understand that there's a wealth of knowledge needed to really appreciate this film for most people, not everybody, but for me. And, but when I see that this is a top five in horror movie fans, they're like, Oh, what's your top five or your top 10. And they list this movie in here. You might as well have been like, Oh, what are your favorite songs? Like, Oh, I love uh, Mary had a little lamb on wax cylinder by Thomas Edison. Like, fuck you. Like you're full of shit. You pretentious piece of shit. Fuck you. It's not that good. I mean, to be clear, it, I've never made those claims, and I'm not I'm saying not, that you did. I, I'm looking at you. I'm not talking know, about I know, you. No, I know you're making. Not that anybody can see this, but you're making strong <laughs> eye contact and talking <laughs> firmly to me. Um, and and I realize it's because it, it works better if you have an audience. It um, does. But also, I would not say that this is. I actually, this is in my notes. This is not my favorite horror film. This is not my favorite silent film. This is not my favorite silent horror film. It's actually probably not even my top three favorite silent horror films. What's your top three silent favorite horror films? And number one, <laughs> with a bullet, Lon Chaney, uh, Phantom of the Opera, okay. 1925. I'm not familiar with Lon Chaney. Unquestionable. Yeah, I mean, you course. know who Lon Chaney is. You're yeah. joking, right? No, I thought you meant the film was titled oh, Lon no. Chaney. I was no, like, no, wait, no, what? No. what? Um, um, I don't know what number two and number three are p- per se, but it is either or. Uh, these are interchangeable, but number one with a bullet is Phantom of the Opera. And then I would say, uh, f- ooh, there might be three in there. Okay, so whatever. Put these next three in any order. Mm-hmm. Haxon, mm-hmm. Faust, mm-hmm. Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. Those would be the next ones. And then Cabinet is probably somewhere in the mix lower than that um i don't know man have you ever seen no you haven't seen no this is the <laughs> first one we've seen mr Wu. uh mr Wu is another good lon cheney silent uh movie that i enjoy there is i mean gosh i got really into silent film in high school and uh have watched quite a bit oh dr mabuse is uh, one of the first like one of the first depictions of like the aristocrat intelligent suave uh villain like you know he's a doctor patrick bateman yeah kind of yeah patrick bateman definitely pulls a lot from dr mabuse um mabuse the gambler i mean that's like a three-part series or uh from fritz long and i think that there was even a talkie that he did in like the 60s um he revived these series um but anyway yeah, this movie is good. I really enjoy it. I love the lore behind it. I love, um, like, there's some like, scenes to me that are, like, so iconic. And obviously, I have, like, a deep-seated nostalgia for a lot of this. And a lot of it was when I saw it with who I saw it and, like, my state of mind going into it. But, like, man, 
and I wish you, you would have saw this in like you know HD because it's so much better. But when Caligari first opens the cabinet at the fair, which is a coffin, well, I don't know why they call it a cabinet. It's a coffin. Yeah, sure. And he's sleeping, standing up. What is this shit? I mean, he's a somnambulist. He's not. Just he's been asleep for twenty three years, but none of his muscles have atrophied. What is this shit? You know, I'm watching this movie and hearing you scream in the deafening I, I silence know. You of this heard, movie. You I heard my voice. No, Fuck you. Yes. Yeah, like, how's he eating? Where is he poop? Like, uh, all these questions are that of a four-year-old, the, which you entered this movie with the mindset of, and I appreciate <laughs> that. But if you could gloss over these, you know, <laughs> these glaring plot holes, then you can get a lot from it. And what I was going to say is when that cabinet opens, when the coffin opens, and you first are introduced to Cesare, and you see that makeup, and he is just sitting there in all of his sepia glory. Standing. God damn it. It is such a good scene. Another scene that's great is when Jane goes to confront Dr. Caligari and Cesare, and he's like slowly descending into madness, and his smile is peeking through, and like you probably couldn't see any of this in the version that you watch, but the subtle facial expressions, like, okay, can we talk about Werner Cross? That Nazi piece of shit, real quick, Nazi piece of shit. But, he fucking did a great job in this movie. I mean, he he. It looks like Dan DeVito's Penguin with Mickey Mouse gloves, and um, all uh, again. I think a lot of this is silent film because some of like you're saying stage all play. Of it is, yeah. Wait, <laughs> good one. Good good point, Bill. Thanks thanks for that. Um, I'm still here. I'm still here. Uh, a lot of it is like his kind of like shaky, like over oh. overacting kind of uh, with the cane and stuff. Um, good. Well, I don't know if it's good, it's but goddamn it's great. spectacle. Um, and then obviously the uh, Caesar Cesare, whatever, whoever you want to pronounce his name. Um, correctly. Correctly. Uh, the the makeup on him. I mean, I got like initially seeing him. Okay, this is Edward Scissor Hands. This is the Crow. Like this is like the goth aesthetic. Oh, from yeah. this, this he's he's the seed that kind of started this up along with like kind of Victorian dress and like all that other kind of bullshit. Yeah, I but mean, it, I, it's funny that you even say that you wish I saw that in 4k because one of the few positive things that I was able to make before realizing what version um, I was watching was, was really how creepy it was. So I'm, I bet it looks cooler. Like when you see him in 4k, but like in that shitty, whatever, like it did look scary. Like it was more nightmarish. And the version that I saw, which did, did like, there was sometimes it was it was unsettling, which yeah. I enjoyed. Like even um, Dr. Caligari and his and his facial movements and stuff, when you can't really tell what he's doing or anything, it was creepy. And that was one of my favorite things about the version that I watch is that it it did kind of creep me out a little bit. Okay, uh, I speaking of plot holes, this guy gets a permit to the carnival or the fair or whatever mm-hmm. and claims to have a sleepwalker that he keeps in a cabinet. Um, this guy, I think I wrote laziest carny in all of existence because clearly he just paid some like poor gay man to like dress up in drag and makeup and hide in a cabinet and pretend to be asleep for the last 23 years when he isn't because he can walk around and talk. Yeah, but I mean, people were dying. And Dead by Dawn. Dead by Dawn! Dead by Dawn! Very Evil Dead. Love that little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, they took that. Or, yeah, you know, yeah I mean, because this was the first film ever made. So, of much, course, yeah. like everyone's seen it. Did you Did you get, we brought this up already um, when you were gone. Did you get 
Um, oh, when I was che, shitting? Che Zare, did you get Mac as Nightman vibes? <laughs> oh, no. Because that's the very first thing but when it showed his eyes. I was like, oh, it looks like the Nightman. He's definitely going for gasps. Yeah, I agree. No, I, I did not make that connection, but, but I think now that you say that, that this definitely heavily influenced Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's why I'm here to make those connections. No, but uh, like, but really, though, um, I, I'm pretty confident that you're not being a smartass, but if you look at the we set design from the Nightman Cometh musical... A little bit. It is all wonky. And In weird the fact that it was painted by children on crepe paper. Well, <laughs> no. I'm yeah, but it... <laughs> That's a intelligent uh, cast of writers and uh, oh Charlie Day and and, and Mac or not Mac um, Rob McElhaney um, yeah yeah. The, yeah all of them very intelligent yeah and they're pulling you know that's what I'm saying like cuts. I I would not be surprised if it was completely on Glenn Rob Charlie if you're, if listening, you're listening if you guys are Elmers uh, big fans go ahead and slide into my DMs let me know if uh, this film influenced you and uh, your creation of the Nightman <laughs> coming. <laughs> Um, another one is uh, when they put uh, the, the kind of red herring attempted murderer who looks sort of like a young Sean Connery a little bit. Um, kind of. They put him in jail, or right? It's a, it's a prison cell. Yeah. Did you didn't because you didn't watch this film? Um, I did. I did. <laughs> did you get vibes of um, Midsummer at the very end in like the Triangle Chapel kind of? It might just be that it's like a weird angular set. But I, I definitely got some, some kind of vibes with that. Dude, so this, I didn't get that at the time, but I'm not shocked that you found something there. And now that I'm trying to think of it, like, yeah, there's pits, of, there's bits of that. There's also when um, Chisari is sneaking into Jan's house while she's Jane sleeping. or Jan? Jane, sorry. Jane's house while she's sleeping. And um, they have that, like, forward... It's like, a lot of force perspective. Yeah, this like whole film. That forward force perspective, also like one of the first times. And I know that's silly because you keep say that, but it's like this is one of those films that had such interesting cinematography given like the parameters of what they were doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I've see, I was reading some reviews and just listening to some things. They were saying like, oh, this is one of the most influential um, scenes for um, Citizen Kane. Like, uh, and then they are, they're doing a side by side of, you know, shots in Citizen Kane where they were using that same framing and force perspective. When was Citizen Kane released? 1941. Yeah. Let's take a look. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you guys want to keep it rolling while I look this up. Yeah, no, uh, I mean. 1941. Bam. Sometimes I'm fucking bam. good. I, I did. Sometimes I'm fucking good. Love the two tiered stools that the policemen are on. Like I, like I love the, oh, like, like the high chairs, the high tables. Um, just a lot of it. Well, I, it's <laughs> elevating like the government. It's elevating the bureaucracy. It is putting the I people. That's a stretch. The, the common people. Um, this is what they had. This is how silent film Again, is Again, and there's been a, it's been a whole century of people to jack themselves off about how great this film is and how influential it is, which it is. But again, like there, death, death of the death of, death of the author, right? Like once this film has been put out into the ether, like people will draw their own conclusions from this. And because every filmmaker since then, because this film was one of the first fully full-length feature films, they've, of course, drawn from this because whatever, fucking... Isn't that art, though? Like, sure, you have artist interpretation, but also, is it not the... Like, isn't there an element of voyeurism here? I mean, of course there is. There okay. always is. But so, 
I mean, if it's relevant enough to the commentary a hundred years fucking later, then right. you can't discredit it. You can because your feelings are true, but they don't be, or your feelings are real. That doesn't mean they're true. You know what I'm saying? I would disagree with that in terms of art. Okay. It makes me feel a certain way. It makes me feel a very certain way too. And that's Sleepy. your truth. You just live your best life and you seek out your truth and I'm not going to stop you from doing that. Uh, sometimes it feels that way. It is kind of apropos that you fell asleep during the habit. <laughs> isn't it funny? It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's very apropos. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, Chisari, he's locked in a cabinet. He is under the control of the evil Caligari. Which is a weird kind of like, were people afraid of sleepwalkers in the 20s? No, it's a fucking metaphor, as we've already talked about. But you know Apparently what I mean? Because they showed up to ask him questions and shit. <laughs> yeah, that is weird, right? Yeah. He's like a prophet or like a, yeah, like a, 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 a psychic of sorts. You um, know how fucking stupid people were like pre-scientific discovery of the internet? People were not stupid. Like they that. were just ignorant. There's a difference. Yeah. Yeah, that is very true. They're in fact much more formally educated in this era. Right, than we like are today. like some of us are like very well educated and still very ignorant. Um, Why so are you looking at me? No reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this movie had no tits, by the way. Um, did you like? <laughs> <laughs> did you like the absence of of memories, or um, did you like or hate? I don't know if you saw this bit in the version you watched, but. The sort of text overlay when um, oh my God. Caligari is like going crazy, or before before the director who is never named decides to become Caligari. So, which actually didn't happen either. Well, I mean, it did in the original script. Sure, sure. But because this wasn't a stupid Shutter Island idea until I don't know they rewrote it. Okay, so there's a couple things I wanted to talk about, and this was Just one of a couple. Them. You get two. And then okay, so the second one I was going to talk about is the other um, rather innovative effect that takes place um, when Cesare or whoever, the unknown assailant at the time, is murdering Alan, which was the uh, the like uh, shadow animation. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I know you guys are going to shit all over me geeking out about this, but how fucking cool is that in 1920? Like this is, uh, I think this is like a year after the first animated feature film which was ultimately lost but like it definitely the first remaining animated feature film was a 1926 another german uh, expressionist film um called the adventures of prince Ahmed, which is another great silent film that i you know is it great uh, dude it's so much fun yeah it's all silhouette shadow projection like fucking animation it's so cool and like the work that went into making all of this so awesome okay but this precedes that by six years and yeah it was only like a small like scene but like what an innovative way to portray your antagonist off screen while still depicting an act of violence and still having those terrifying visual effects for the viewer i mean this I, had never been seen before it never been seen before cool never been seen that? before that's crazy it's almost like like when humans were first standing upright and like cooking their meat and someone added salt it's like oh my god this is amazing like how come no one's ever done this I before i just watch you pound salty meat in my kitchen for an hour and a half prior to this recording and i'll tell you what that innovation still kicks ass today still kicks ass. okay and you know watch what? me eat meat on insta <laughs> yeah hashtag bill eats meat i'm not bill <laughs> well no i know you're feeding but anyway <laughs> it's fine to pay well <laughs> so anyway um 
yeah, you can shit on all you want. So cool. And then the second thing I was going to talk about was, yes, was superimposed text floating in the air and on the walls. And how good was Werner Krauss like, uh, again in this scene? Where he's like looking around. There. I do remember that, actually. Deuce Werner Caligari. Yeah, dude. I do remember that. That was so cool. I, oh, I liked it. I also, I actually expected this to be in like black and white black and white oh, it was. most silent films, which for some of us it was <laughs> most silent yeah. films ha- were uh died on but, the, uh, the actual film but, reels but, themselves were died but sepia right so it's like a, like a reddish brown yellow kind oh, of during the day fucking cool was and that then like too? kind of a green blue, blue slate sort of at night which which was nice and then sort of the weird green for the text that they had and then like the pink inside of jan's or jane's oh. house and stuff yes like, i forgot about that where she like looks like a prostitute because it's all like red red light all rose over yeah glasses, and a lot of like yeah. <laughs> well sepia tinted glasses but yeah um right. but i don't i don't know i this film when i was about <laughs> when i was rewatching the third act the fourth act uh today i was trying to leave my bias at the door as I should. And I felt like this film was almost like watching um uh like paint dry. You no, no, not like that. I it was like it was, it was like, like watching like a marionette play. Something that's kind of an outdated, not a bad f- media, but like like something that I'm so far removed from that my usual um critiques don't really apply and I need to readjust and recalibrate to be fair to the film which is stupid because the film should stand on its own it should be enjoyable on its own it shouldn't matter if it's 100 years old if it's a timeless masterpiece but it isn't and it is so well if you're interested I'll send you home with a box full of silent films and you can do I your homework I am not interested <laughs> okay. I would rather that you force me to watch them by your obligated picks and then I will give them proper shrift but without that this is not a Genre of film that I enjoy. Um, if uh, later in my life I decide to take a film study class at community college, then you'll then, refer them to the pod. Check then out. I'll be like, hey, I already watched this film. This podcast. is like uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> I didn't get to watch this in my film class. I kind of wish I did. What? When did you take a film class? In college. When? <laughs> I don't know. You want the the exact semester dates? Yeah. I don't the, fucking the, remember the, the summer of 2016. Okay. So recent. when I was just finishing up, yeah. I was... Was it elective? In route. Yeah. Okay. It was. So I... What I, did you watch? Um, all the other ones that you would guess. Casablanca. Um, the one with the... Where they say the words at the end and it means something. And the other one. <laughs> the one... You know the what ones exactly... They say you the know ones exactly at the end. exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, I know I know which one you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can't even know if we talked about uh, it on this, this podcast. The, the snow globe. Uh, fuck. Yes. Um, we talked about it I'm ten minutes lost. ago. What are we talking about? Uh, you talked about it minutes ago. Um, the other one. What the is one the other where they one? put the other words. At the, is it a silent film? It's the snow no. globe. No, because you haven't watched um, And it's the um, Casablanca. Elmer's just screaming at us right Casablanca. now. Casablanca. No, no that's you. the other one. It's like where you find out the point of it as he's dying, and he drops the snow globe in the chair. Yeah. I've never seen this film. Citizen but Kane. Yes, Citizen, Citizen Kane. Kane. That one. The shitty one. <laughs> the other one. Citizen Kane's great. Very memorable. Orson Welles. So memorable. <laughs> well, I love that my picks went over. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I want you guys to really 
dig into this and tell me how you feel because it's unclear to me at this point. We got one person who didn't watch the movie, one person just, who fell asleep. Can I, inter- I finished it. Can I, I interject right there? Because no. to me, it sounds like I'm the only one that watched the movie. You watched, oh, these people these days, they can't handle how a movie was originally filmed. They have to have it remastered and recolored. I watched this film as... It is supposed to be. I'm the only one that saw this film. You know, well, how maybe did you, you finish are, it? Boring. But did you finish week, it though? Yes. <laughs> did you? Yes. Okay. I've seen this movie probably now about five or six times, and I've Christ. definitely <laughs> seen it um, both in HD and on like shitty VHS rips from the fucking AMC television like programs that like were recorded by my uncle and shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, to, to, to bounce back off something you said at the, the previous episode, I think I would have enjoyed this film more as a graphic novel because it would have been about six pages long <laughs> and it would have taken 10 <laughs> seconds to read it and I would have been, I would have been fine with that. So the set design was very distorted and unconventional and everything was like out of proportion and ambiguous, which I felt had like uh, added element to the confusion and discombobulation that seems to be the theme of the movie. Obviously, we are dealing with a madman in Francis that we spoke about. The lines between reality and the unknown are almost non-existent in this film, especially through the lens of the viewer in 1920 when you have never seen floating text never on seen screen. Never seen a film before. Stuff. Never seen a film. Oh, you have to understand this is that probably very possibly like up, the first movie that many people ever mm-hmm. saw which is fucking sick i know you guys disagree with that but that's fine um you know the whole idea of dying the film to depict light and day when you don't really have a lot of other medium to uh you know tell that story i mean it's it's fun and it's innovative and it did lend itself to Many of the films that would come out immediately after, but even still today, as we talked about, like you get a lot of Tim Burton. Uh, Major the, just Tim the Burton. aesthetic in this film has influenced so much, and and it, this film wasn't necessarily unique in that. Like I said, we're talking about the nineteen um, twenties and thirties expressionist German art scene, uh, German film scene. And it was prolific, and there's many other examples of this, but this is perhaps the most well known and definitely, I would say, the most like studied, not just because of the art, but because of its social narratives of the war. Um, and that takes me into another fun point, or maybe fun is not the word, but we did mention earlier that Conrad Veit was in Casablanca. Now, he uh, married a Jewish woman in the late 20s and fled Germany in the early 30s, fearing the rise of the Nazi regime. Um, He married a Jewish woman, came to America, and then he revitalized his film career playing the role of Major Strasser in Casablanca. Have either of you seen Casablanca? No. Man, it's a great film. You watched it in film study class, right? Yep. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great story. Um, And you don't even necessarily have to watch the film. There's lots of ways to get that story out there. one of the first uh, way that I was ever exposed to Casablanca, I went to um, this. I had some buddies who were in like a they called it like radio reduct theater, and they just would read like the radio script. There was like no real acting, but they would change like the scenes behind, like the the set behind them, and they would sit and read from paper of like the radio transcript of the story. Riveting. Yeah, it was <laughs> awesome, man. It was really cool. But um, 
Yeah, so he plays Major Saucer, who is a Nazi, and um, it's funny because immediately in juxtaposition to that, I did refer earlier to Werner Krauss as a Nazi piece of shit, which he was. Um, I don't know if you guys got into this part of his story, but this is Dr. Caligari, who was a prolific uh, actor as well, um, and he would stay in Germany, and he made many propaganda films for the Nazi party, working directly with uh, Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels. He was actually named the cultural ambassador for the Nazi party by Hitler. In the Did he uh, oh, work on, um, what's the famous one, Birth of a Nation? Um, no, he did not work on that one, because I think that that is actually an American film. Maybe that is an American film. But he did portray Rabbi Lowe, uh, the m- central antagonist in the film Judd Sus, or uh, Sus the Jew, which is like one of the most anti-Semitic. The Jew is sus. Yeah, yeah, one of the most anti-Semitic, like well-known and documented and influential Nazi propaganda, Nazi propaganda movies of all time. Um, where And it's funny that he portrayed a Jew. It's kind of like the flip-flop from Conrad Veidt and how their careers would right. go on. Just a little fun fact. Uh, I mean, this movie is full of the narrative of dictatorship. Um, and a lot of people have talked about that since you know death of the author and everything and like i said you can check all this stuff out from people who are much more educated than me and have a much more eloquent way of describing it it's available on youtube you can order books on amazon shout out jeff bezos kill yourself yourself, yourself. um yeah so i don't know there's a lot of this movie to get into that we're not going to touch on but overall i think that we surmised this plot and we've kind of talked as much as maybe we want to talk about it. Maybe more. Yeah, I kind of get in that vibe <laughs> as well. So what I'll say is I do love this movie. It is a time capsule experiment. It's fun in the sense that it's trailblazing. Um, as I mentioned, not my favorite horror movie, not my favorite silent movie. Um, but it might be the most important and most influential of both of those genres. You know what I mean? Um, and obviously there's big landmarks along the way but for the first 20 30 40 50 years of film i mean shit this is up to rosemary's baby one of the most influential because i mean you have the universal monsters but that's kind of like nothing new a lot of that was borrowed from different source material and just adapted to screen um and obviously rosemary's baby was based on ira levin's novel as well but um as something that stands out as uniquely film and cinema, this one, fuck, man, it's a heavy hitter. I do really actually enjoy this movie. Being a, just over an hour long, I can watch this quite a bit and not tire of it. I feel like there's always something new to take, and um, I give it an 85. I really like this movie. Woo. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I just want to say, if you do want to watch this movie, just make sure you are right. Uh, you are watching one of the uh, newer updated versions of it so you can tell what is going on it's available on um, shutter in 4k I believe. yes watch it on shutter um don't do as i did but um i mean like i said i can i can really appreciate films like this like i can't say it's a bad film but like the ratings i suppose to go off enjoyment right like i can appreciate all of the things that it did for film and for horror and all that but it is not entertaining to me whatsoever, and I'm sure 
the version that I can tell what was going on would be better, but I'm rating it off of what I watch, and to do that, I would have to get it a 6 out of 100. That's m- honestly more generous than I was expecting from you. Yeah. Holy shit. A 6 out of 100. Yeah. Oh, out of 100? Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. That sounds about right. Okay, That's so they... A 6 out of 100 hundred let me get let me uh, are you not understanding i heard you every, every single character looked the exact same and what i could not tell what was going on without the aid of no no IMDb you're, and you're YouTube right videos. I, I am i heard six and i thought six out of ten that's I what am, i heard so did i i was <laughs> like fuck you were downplaying that but you gave it some love a, from what i did see of like the updated version i it would pr- probably rate it somewhere in the 20s or 30s. But from what I saw, I have to give it a 6 out of 100. That's fair. That's fair. Um, like I said earlier, this completely wrecked my scoring rubric completely because I, <laughs> have, no, I have no context <laughs> of, of most of this. Um, there were some cool shots, uh, and a lot of this goes back to just the history of film and like what this is influenced on. And initially, I... I didn't have a score for it. I didn't know what to score this. I was just going to give it a 5 out of 10 because I had no other way of, of putting in context. And then I started thinking about it more and then finished the film that I slept through the ending <laughs> of. And uh, and it, through enjoyment, which is not usually how I score things, is a, a 1 out of 10 um, because I did not enjoy this film at all. This, If I could put a word to this film, <laughs> arduous comes to mind. <laughs> In that it felt, uh, it uh, you you said homework and homework oh, is is definitely the qualifier. So if I could <laughs> average them out, one out of five or one out of ten, and a five out of ten comes to a three, which sounds a little strong, to be honest. So we'll say a week three out of ten for Rob. Well, I, I do appreciate your willingness and. Uh, the studiousness. That's not the word. That's a word. That's not the word I'm looking for. But I appreciate your commitment to making it through this in the in the name of the pod. And the Elmers appreciate it. Uh, it says, one of the most anticipated episodes that we've uh, posted about. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of mail I was getting in this. I, so. I think I would believe the amount of mail you were getting. <laughs> I mean, it's... I had to open up. I actually uh, had to open a second email account because I, my gigs are maxed. Yeah, PO box is full. Too many yeah. gigs. Getting a lot of snail mail from people from a hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for watching my movie. This well, it's in German, so yeah. <laughs> ah. Shane. Those uh, forever stamps were a hell of an investment. No <laughs> shit, right? <laughs> All in that sepia yellow. Mm. Mm. Man, mm. you know. Rob, mm. I was hoping that I was going to get a sneaker out of you and that you would have been like, you know, I thought I was going to hate it. I've never seen a silent film. I did fucking hate it, but I appreciated it for what it was. And I think I kind of got that from you with a little bit more transparency that like you're maybe apprehensive to say that because you need to broaden your um, understanding of the medium mm-hmm. as versus, you know, a a more modern stuff. Yeah, there are a lot of caveats, but I think that I got more than I could have asked for. And I do appreciate you guys uh, suffering through it, if that's how you viewed it, to, uh, you know, suffering through it to come and talk about it tonight. Because, fuck, it was good to revisit. It always feels good 
to revisit in Halloween time. And again, I'm renaming the month of October Halloween. Elmer's hashtag October is Halloween. Hashtag. <laughs> hashtag Halloween. Um, yeah. No, again, thank you for picking this film because there's no way I would have finished it without an obligation. And I'm genuinely upset that I did not watch the correct version. And I, and I do mean it that I will get back to it and I'll do it sometime within the next few years. Decade. <laughs> within, within the next decade. You waited 100 years, that's another 100. That's did he really wait 100 sign. years if he was born in 92? Well, is anybody ever really born? 93. Yes. Yes, they yes. are. Anyway, speaking of picking films, what is the film that you're going to pick for next <gasps> week, Rob? Ooh. Talking about vindictive picks, I've been committed to hating whatever the fuck was going to come out of your mouth next. Oh, Oh, I hope you do. Fright Night um, 2. Oh, my God. Please, not Fright <laughs> Night 2. Fright Night 2. No, it's definitely not Fright Night 2. Um, I thought that I would swing the pendulum in the opposite direction where we have Watch a, a good movie. Wa- yeah, watch a good movie. Um, <laughs> watch a movie that is a fairly recent film. Watch a movie that might even be considered a modern classic. Maybe it's not been out long enough to be considered a modern classic, but... I've only seen this film once. I saw it in theaters. I've been meaning to rewatch it for a long time. I've been putting it off so I could forget as much as possible about it. The movie for next week is Robert Eggers' seminal or debut film, 2015, The Witch. Fuck yeah. It is available on <laughs> Canopy with a K, which is a free streaming service. All you need to sign up card? for it is a public library card. So please support your public library. You might be a reader, but you're definitely a movie watcher of some sort if you're listening to our garbage yeah. podcast. And uh, it's it's free to get a library card. And then you can sign up through the app, um, through your smart TV or mobile device or laptop, whatever. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I feel like it has a lot of strong elements um, both in cinematography and acting, and um, it's kind of an art house film. Not near as much as this is, but it's not something I would just recommend to anybody, or even just a, a horror fan that I didn't know. So I look forward to uh, to a discussion about it. I'm looking forward to it. I think that'll be good, and it is a bit of a change of pace. Have uh, Have you seen it? Uh, I have seen it, and I. I do love Robert Eggers, and I'm not going to try to give away too much for next week, but like, I'm excited to dive deep into that one. Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. She's so good. really good in this film, but we'll talk about that next week. We thank you for tuning in tonight, Elmers. Thank you. Thank you. And um, let's do it again. We had fun. We know you had fun. You're going to get washed fun. away in the sweet sounds of sensual Rob sweet bill and love in my kill <laughs> don't like that well you're gonna learn Love's to love i like sweet bill sweet bill's good that's, i like that's a good handle he Hashtag is sweet, sweet bill. bill he's so sweet too if you guys could see what i'm looking at right now it's you sweet. wouldn't yeah well fuck me <laughs> put that behind a paywall and you can take my crypto today take my crypto take my crypto good night elmers take my crypto Good night, Elmers. Good night, Jeff Bezos.